from the book of Genesis, thus Esau despised his birthright. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning and welcome. I want to welcome those joining us online as well, as we're all trying to figure out how best to weather this pandemic. There's actually been a lot of discussions among clergy in the diocese about how this is all affecting church attendance right now and how it's going to be affecting church attendance going forward. And there's a study circulating that indicates that 32% of practicing Christians that is, those who were attending church before the pandemic, have stopped participating in church services altogether. Not online, not in person. They've just stopped participating altogether. And there's reasons for that, of course. I mean, it, it's a lot more difficult to stay engaged online. Uh, a couple months ago, I was away on a Sunday on vacation, but I was tuning into our live stream on Trinity, and, and while I think that we do a great job uh, especially because I run communications right now. I think it's fantastic. Um, it's still, you know, it's still difficult. We've got two little kids running around to, to really stay engaged. There's a lot of distractions at home. And there's also, you know, the relational payoff or weight of Christ's body gathered together isn't as tangible. But the reason I bring it up in light of this series on Genesis is that it is our sacred privilege as Christians to worship the God of these stories. You know, the God who blessed Abraham and called him to himself, the God who invited Abraham uh, to share the riches and to be the progenitor of Jesus Christ is the same God that is inviting us into this spiritual lineage. And as we discussed last week, we are heirs of this promise of God, that we would have direct access to Him now as He works in our lives and for all eternity. You know, it's a heck of an inheritance that we've received by grace through faith. We don't often stop and think about this, but it's astounding that the God of the universe would care to listen to your prayers, or that He'd care enough about you to actually work and be engaged in your life, or to allow you to call Him Father. You know, there's this idea in baptism that you're going, you know, under the water to die, and as you come out of the water, you are reborn in Christ. And so as a Christian, you might think of this ability to engage and worship God as your rebirth right. It's something that, that has phenomenal value for us. And so for those of you who have been keeping with us, I mean, again, I'm preaching to the choir, right? You're all here or listening online, right? I mean, you're engaged. And so for those of us who, who have engaged so far or who are joining us, because we do continue to get new people joining us from across the country online, I just want to encourage you encourage you to keep coming and keep coming before the throne of God and pouring yourself out in worship. That being said, we continue today with our uh, series on Genesis, following this lineage of Abraham that received God's blessing and promise. You'll remember a few weeks ago, as Father Chris uh, preached about, that Abraham had two sons, right? There was Ishmael and Isaac. And the blessing, the promise of God went through Isaac. There's a fork in the road. But that was, God, that's, that was the promised son. That was the one who God chose to receive the blessing. And as we come to our text today, we have another fork in the road, another split between two sons, because Isaac now has twin boys, one of which is going to be the inheritor of this blessing, the one who's going to be in direct lineage of Jesus Christ, and the other one who is merely going to be blessed by association. 
It's a pivotal text. Every time you come to one of these fork in the roads, you're starting to trace where God is doing His work. It's interesting to see which route it goes. And as you see in our text, our ancient spiritual family is just as dysfunctional as our families, right? I mean, you see all sorts of things in this text. You see um, parental favoritism, not a great idea. Sibling rivalry, also not great. Deception, betrayal. I mean, these are real people and real stories. If you were making this up, you probably wouldn't have such flawed heroes and heroines, would you? So with that, I'm going to bring this to our three points for this morning that are going to kind of keep us organized in this text. Our first point for this morning is that our inheritance that we've been talking about doesn't mean your life's going to be easy. Receiving the blessing and promise of God does not make life easy. Second point, our inheritance is not due to merit. You didn't earn it. And our third point is our inheritance is not to be despised. So with that, let's look at our text. If you've got your bulletins in front of you, if you're online, you, you have it on your screen there. Um, we're in Genesis, our first reading for today. And what you'll see in our text is, you know, as you'll remember from last week, Isaac and Rebecca are married. Rebecca, as you'll remember, she responded to God's call. She went forth in faith, and she got to become a central character in God's story. And so you're like, okay, great. She, she's part of it. She's in the game. You know, she's going to be the one that, that brings about the next birth. But look what happens. Immediately in the story, you find out it's not smooth sailing. She's the chosen matriarch, and she's barren. You know, it's like she stepped forward, answered God's call, and immediately hit a roadblock. And you might wonder, right, if you're following God's call, why in the world did you hit a roadblock so soon? But it happens to you all the time, doesn't it? It happens to you each time you decide to stand up and tell the truth or, and get blasted for it, or you stand up for something and get taken out at the knees. Any time that you decide to follow God's call, almost immediately there's a roadblock that hits you, and you're like, God, I thought this was supposed to be easy. You know, this happened quite literally to my son, to my older son the other day. He's got this, um, he's got this really fancy little kid's motorcycle. My son Gabriel's three and a half years old, and um, and as, as, as part of this bonus thing, my wife's uh, bosses bought him this little bike. And it's, um, it's a bike that's, you know, it's for three-year-olds, but you can turn on an electric motor and you can get on it and you can crank it out, right? It doesn't go very fast. But, uh, but he got on this bike for the first time and he didn't know how to hit the brakes and he got a little freaked out and lost control. And so he didn't touch it for like three months. You know, but the other day, my, my parents were in town and we were all excited, and we were kind of like pushing him, like, come on, Gabriel, you can do it. Be brave. Be courageous. You can handle this bike. So Gabe, you know, is all puffed up. He's got his grandpa there watching him who's very proud of him, and he gets on his bike, and he's, he's like, all right, I'm ready to do this, and he cranks it on, and he immediately runs straight into a fence, just <laughs> smacks it, falls off the bike, and, well, it's going to be a while before he gets back on. Now, admittedly, it was my fault because I'm the one who set up the bike for him, and pointed in that direction, so uh, my bad, son. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, he developed the courage, he finally decided to step out, and he hit a wall. Abraham also, by the way, if you'll remember his story, when he's called by God, the first thing that happens to him is he goes into a land of famine. Great, thanks. Then he goes from there into Egypt and is subject to a tyranny. You all see the pattern? I mean, this is, this is part of our lineage. This is part of our spiritual heritage that we have in Christ. It's not, it's not easy. It's not like God just kind of, you know, paves these clear paths for you. And, and there's a reason for that, right? 
One of the reasons for that is because the inheritance that we've been promised in God has not been fully realized yet. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's like we have this trust that God has set up for us. And the fact that we can pray to God and the fact that He answers us and the fact that He's engaged in our lives and the fact that He can give us a a peace and a calm and a Christian hope, these are all payments that we receive out of the trust. Paul, in fact, describes it like this. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. But the trust, the fullness of the trust, hasn't yet been passed over to us, and it won't be until Christ returns. And so there's a part of this that, of course, life is going to be difficult. Of course, life is going to be hard. We are we're still fallen people in a fallen world. And we're still receiving the connection of God, but we don't receive it in fullness yet. You know, another reason for this is that God is a good father and doesn't want us spoiled. What happens to your kids when you give them everything that they want and you pave the way for them so they have no difficulty? You end up not liking them very much in 20 years, right? That's what happens. And a third reason, another reason that things don't always go so well for us is because if everything went smoothly, what do you need to pray for? And I've seen this happen in my own life, and I've seen this happen in many other people's lives, that as soon as everything gets cleared away, as soon as all the difficulties stop, the first thing that tanks is your prayer life. You neglect it, and you stop building up that relationship that you have with God. You know, it's interesting, because if you go back to our text, what's the first thing that Isaac does when Rebekah is barren? When he hits his roadblock, when he hits his difficulty, it says, Isaac prays. Isaac prays. And in this, he learned something from his parents. Do you remember what Abraham and Sarah's solution was when they hit a barren roadblock? Remember that? Sarah's like, well, here's my handmaiden, you know, like you can, I guess, try to produce a child through that. That wasn't a good idea, was it? Didn't go well. Isaac's learned from his parents. So Isaac prays, and Rebecca conceives. But then it's twins. And by the way, as an aside, Lord bless every parent who has twins. That wasn't my situation. My kids are two years apart, and that's still a handful, but I've heard stories from some of you who raise twins, and you are a different kind of hero, right? Different sleep schedules, food allergies, multiple different after-school activities, and competitions for attention. That's tough. So again, life's not easy for them. And Jacob and Esau are no different, right? Their sibling rivalry begins in the womb. And so Rebecca is despairing, and she seeks counsel from the Lord, And the Lord reveals to her that the the, the children in your womb will become two nations that will be at war. They will be divided from one another. And by the way, we're not going to get into that right now, but we see that play out in history because one of those becomes the nation of Israel, and one of those becomes the nation of Edom, the Edomites. And they battle for centuries. So, the Lord reveals to her that the boys will become two nations, and that the older nation, the Edomites, is going to serve the younger nation, the Israelites. Which brings us to our second point for this morning. Our inheritance, it's not based on merit. I want you to hear me say that. Our inheritance is not based on merit. God didn't choose to reveal Himself to us because we are so good, but because He is. You'll notice from our text that God decreed that the nation coming from Esau, the Edomites, would serve the nation of the younger brother Jacob even while they were in the womb meaning that they hadn't had the opportunity to battle for that moral high ground and somehow earn God's favor yet. Now, God could have known what was going to happen because He is outside of time. Like, sure, that's a possibility. 
He may have, might have chosen the Israelites for some other reason. It's possible, but who knows? The point is that the blessings and promise of God were not given to Jacob based on merit. He didn't earn it. It was given to him through grace. You know, the Apostle Paul picks up on this as well in Romans chapter 9. He says that God's election depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And that's really helpful to know up front, because Jacob turns out not to be the greatest guy. Did you, did you listen to the reading this morning? He's not a good guy. In fact, his name is a play on him being a heel grabber, conveying the idea of deception, betrayal, and opportunism. And look what he does. He's opportunistic. His brother comes in. He's hungry. It's funny because it describes him as an excellent, skillful hunter, right? And he comes in with no game, so apparently, you know, he's kind of a failure in that. And so he comes in, and he's hungry, and Jacob's like, oh, great opportunity, right? And this is his brother, by the way. Why don't you sell this to me? You don't seem to value it, and, and here's some stew, and we'll feed you and be on your way. You know, he's opportunistic. He snags the birthright from his half-starred brother for a bowl of stew. And later, and we don't touch this text here, this is really interesting, he also steals Esau's blessing. And this is how he does it. Isaac is old. His eyesight is fading. Isaac, um, Jacob and his mom, Rebecca, are in cahoots about this whole thing, which you got to wonder what kind of dysfunctionality is going on there. But they dress him up in Esau's clothes so he smells like him. They put uh, goat skin on his arm so he feels like him, which, by the way, how hairy was Esau? That's ridiculous. You know, like they put goat skin on his arm so that he feels like him. Rebecca cooks his favorite stew that, I, that um, Esau would typically make to give to him, and he tries to disguise his voice to sound like Esau in order to steal his blessing. And it works. Jacob's not, Jacob's not a great guy. There's some serious betrayal and deception going on here. And that's, that's kind of the point. Now, Esau has his own issues, and we're going to get to those shortly. But the point is that the inheritance of God is not based on merit, and that's really good news for you and me. You know, I was listening to a lecture recently, and the lecturer said something that hit me across the jaw like a two-by-four. The lecturer said, he said when he's giving his presentation, you know, Good people are exceedingly rare, and it's a lot harder to be a good person than you think. Odds are you are a moderately bad person. And I thought about that. And I got incredibly defensive, right? Because I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, here's my merit badge of things that I've done that are good things. Look at all, look at all of these shiny buttons, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person, aren't I? But the reality is that statement, the fact that you are likely a moderately bad person, is a profoundly Christian sentiment. You know, is it, is it enough to care for the people you like? Is it enough to be on the right side of a cause? Is it enough to feel more righteous than most people that you know or help those that can help you? You know, Isaiah 64, 6 says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That's tough. It reminds me of um, a Friends episode that I saw, and, and 
if you have like friends lore and stuff like that, I'm honestly not a huge fan. Um, so, so you might make references and I'm not going to catch them. But there's this, there's this episode in Friends, I guess, where um, these two characters, Phoebe and Joey, have a bet about whether there's any, uh, what was it? There, if, whether or not there is any unselfish act, right? If there's any tr- pr- uh, purely and truly unselfish act, can you do anything for somebody else and have it be entirely unselfish? And so they get into this whole, like, this whole debate about it. And, uh, you know, and uh, I guess this character Phoebe feels like she loses because even giving something to somebody else makes you feel good. And, uh, and, and you know, and you, and you start to think about that and you wonder, right, like, what, what does it take for there to be a purely and holy righteous act? It's tough. You know, there's a reason that Jesus Christ had to die on a cross to unite us with God, and it's sitting in your chair, and it's standing behind this pulpit. The spiritual inheritance that we have access to isn't earned. It's received. It's received by grace through faith. And all of the benefits of our inheritance, right? The fact that we have access to God, we have the strength to confront sin, our Christian hope for eternity, the love that's poured into our hearts, none of these things can be earned. We can't even do enough good to wipe out our own past sins. You know, this is something that I think gets confused a lot in our current culture. The Christian message isn't you are enough. It's that God is. And watch what He can do through you if you let Him. Which brings us to our third and final point. Our inheritance is not to be despised. You know, Esau sold his birthright for stew. Now, we're not exactly sure what this birthright consisted of. and all likelihood because they didn't have um, the priesthood established at that point, the eldest son functioned in the role of priest for the family and made sacrifices. It's also likely that his material inheritance would have been a double portion of all of his siblings. And the reasons for this are clear, right? If you're in an agricultural society, and if you just divide up your land evenly among all your kids forever, eventually, you know, a plot of land is like two by two, Right? So in order to try to retain the bulk of what your, um, you know, to try to retain the bulk of the family wealth, you try to keep it in the family by giving most of it to the firstborn. And, and so that's likely what this birthright is. Clearly Esau didn't understand it, or at least he didn't value it very highly, right? He sold it for stew. And it makes sense, right? Think about it this way. Isaac and Rebekah were wealthy. And by their cultural standards, Esau didn't experience any lack. And he spent most of his time out hunting while leaving the administration of the family estate to others, right? Because that's a big operation. There are people who have to watch what's going on in the fields and make sure that the sheep are cared for, and and, um, I don't know. There's obviously a lot going on, right? And so Esau's off hunting all the time, and he leaves the administration to other people, possibly like Jacob who was described about as a man about the tents, an administrator. And I'm sure you've seen this pattern play out, right? Now, if not in your own family, at least in like a celebrity family or like the royal family or even TV families, one son son just wants all the rights without any responsibilities and wants to live that carefree lifestyle, just kind of shoot off and do what he wants to do. And it's possible for Esau that because his day-to-day living was only experiencing his inheritance in part, he didn't grasp the full weight of what was waiting for him. It's possible 
that because Esau didn't have to suffer to earn what he was given, that it wasn't based on merit, he didn't understand its value. And so when the time came, Esau sold his birthright for stew. And you know, if you think about it, every single one of us in this room is subject to Esau's temptation. Not a single one of us knows the full weight of the inheritance that's waiting for us. I mean, Scripture tells us about the majesty of being in God's presence, about the fullness of joy that we'll experience. We, we learn in Revelation there's going to be no more pain, no more fear, no more death, right? These are amazing, incredible things. But to experience those in the full weight, we don't have any idea. You know, it's kind of like a married couple being told about the great weight and heavy joys of being a parent and having no concept of what that means until you experience it. We don't know. And not only do we not know the full weight of the privilege that is waiting for us, not a single one of us knew what it took, what, what Christ had to go through to suffer to allow us to enter into this inheritance. Right? We didn't merit it. We didn't die on a cross. We didn't experience what it means to be drawn into this inheritance. And so, there's a, there's a big gap that we all have in understanding the full weight of what it means to be a Christian, of what we're invited into, which is why I think there are so many temptations that are set before us that draw us away from the path that God put us on, on our way to receive our inheritance. I mean, I want you to think about that right now for yourselves. Like, what is it? What, what is it? What's your stew, right? What's the thing that is, is right in front of you that's a temptation that can pull you away from following the path of God and, and charting the course to be in His presence? I mean, is it like a personal or a particular sin? You know, is it, is it, is it, is it just small trivialties that consume your time and attention? You know, are you getting so sucked into the cultural forces and that, it's, that they set your agenda in tone instead of trying to find your Christian center? What is, what is it? What is it that's shifting your focus away from the inheritance? You know, keep your eyes fixed on the Lord is another encouragement that we get from Scripture. And so I want to encourage you, as we close out for this morning, stay the course. Focus on the inheritance that you have coming to you. I'm going to close out for, with a few words from Hebrews 12. Again, this is the chapter that directly follows heroes of faith, and it discusses the trials and difficulties that, that we all face and how we respond to them. This is from Hebrews 12. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Let us pray. My Father, I pray that this week you would pull back the curtain even just a bit so we could glimpse the full weight of what is waiting for us as the fulfillment and consummation of our Christian hope of that time that we get to spend fully in your presence. I pray that you would help us become centered this week, 
as there are so many distractions that would knock us off course. I pray that You would identify those areas in our lives that we are willing to trade our Christian integrity in order to follow after. And I pray that all of this would be done through Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook. Mm-hmm.